Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter and Threads and everywhere else you need an at. This week, what do I have for you this week? I have a note about how to ingest the results of week one and just the early weeks in general. Some reminders of what to look out for over the next few weeks. And information about everything you can get for free that I'm putting out there to try and help you make lineup decisions and dynasty decisions and everything else for weekly content. That's about it. Let's get into it. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and learn so we're in an in-between point right now. I was dithering on whether or not to make a week one episode before week one happens. And we're doing it. We usually run behind the news on the crossroads. I'm thinking about doing an actual uh, more tactic-based podcast that has more do-it-now do kind of ideas um, on the DAP network for Russ Fisher. But it's still kind of a work in progress. From the crossroads, we try to stay more holistic, more basic. Unfortunately, in season, I'm trying to grind out uh, so much stuff. I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have to do what we've been doing in the off-season, these weekly, two-weekly, bi-weekly prepared, um, hopefully more evergreen shows with more production and where I get to re-record and rewrite and actually prepare shows a little bit more uh, professionally. So we're kind of in between that. I've got some notes, I've got some things I want to remind you of, um, and things I need to tell you, and also a note from a DLF sponsor, since this is a DLF podcast show. So let's do that first. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. Yeah, DLF, officially sponsored by uh, Ticketmaster, at least for a minute. Uh, so that's exciting for them. What's exciting for us? Over the next four weeks... Preseason and in-season weekly ranks, especially the type of things I use to make my weekly projections, are actually more predictive of what's going to happen in the future than points per game or other in-season stats. Stats tend to stabilize around the first four weeks of the season. Now, there's some variance depending on which position you're looking at, and also every single season doesn't bring about it with it every single result. But the vast majority of players have established what they're going to do and who they're going to be by week four, at least in terms of their roles outside of changing depth charts and situations. And we also know that rookies are going to take a little bit longer, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, so we can stretch that to about week six if we really have to. We still hold on to our preseason values, our preseason ideas, until that point. Now, if you're more interested in those trends or tracking that weekly stuff of who's establishing a high role or which rookie seems to be developing early into a player we definitely have to double down on our off-season likes or dislikes. 
I'm writing a weekly article for DLF, which is a homogeny of all the ones I was writing last season. We're just putting it all in one, where I'm going to be tracking volume on a week-by-week basis, looking for those trends, and also looking for regression trends, who's getting more volume than they should, given how much they're scoring, and therefore should score more if that volume keeps up. And also, I tend to throw out where we're at in the season, where the stats are stabilizing or not. Can we trust who is in the top 12? Can we know more or less about who's going to finish in the top 12 outside of an injury? Um, And yeah, you can find that article on DLF. You can find that article on Patreon. At least my notes I'll I'll put up there on Patreon. The official article will go up on on DLF. That one's usually behind the paywall. If you're interested in the data itself, I'm putting out my weekly 2023 this time uh, stat sheet with pretty much all the stats that you could want on a weekly basis for every position and trying to homogenize that into a simple basic view for people who just want something that doesn't overwhelm them looking at all the different columns for a season-long outlook so far which will roll over in the offseason and put in the official NFL database as well as looking at uh, some more advanced stats and those are the three tabs I really have. I also have it split out by team and by defense depending on how deep you want to get. I got a couple of extra tabs in there and I put out the single season stats for free just for everyone for free. I mean, I'm collecting them from a few paywall sources that my patrons help me get behind, but the vast majority of it is just legwork that I'm doing. It's not like it's in secret, invisible data or how many yards does a player have, but it is fun to be able to get your own copy of it, filter, sort, um, if you're interested or you like to verify your own ideas. And you can find that, again, I, I post that every week on Patreon, but the link is always going to be the same, and that's going to be pinned to my Twitter timeline from here till the end of the season till I revert back to my college database in the off season. So if you just check out at PA Howdy, my pinned tweet, there's just a link to a Google sheet where I update that uh, at least three times a week after the Thursday night game, then obviously uh, after the Sunday night game. And I tend to update it midweek as well around Wednesday because you get the final stats coming from the Monday game and the finalization of all the stats that happened earlier in the week. It's really interesting. The more I've done in data And little things that you find out by trying to do stuff like that, literally collect all of it. And the delayed dates because of how often different sources update from the raw feed that you require to code means that a lot of stats that you get actually have this delay where a lot of them aren't useful until after lineups lock for the next week because everyone has to go get it. They have to organize it. They have to put it in their own database and then they have to come on to the websites and where I'm grabbing it from basically where everyone else is getting it. I'm able to put out that free shade almost in time, if not better in some cases than some paywall sites I've noticed. So that's been fun for me because I have articles to write on a weekly basis. So I need access to it. Um, And you might find that interesting as well. I get the the collection of all that data on a weekly basis is a Patreon database, but the individual seasons and all those links are still up. Um, I put out as and when the weeks roll by, and I, uh, so you can go and find that on my pinned tweet. Don't know, I didn't expect to spend two minutes on that, since you probably all know that if you listen to this podcast. And the article I'm hoping is going to be, again, really useful. I found... I learn every year about more about what's actionable and what we can learn and questions that I have that I want to get more information on. And I tend to use my article as a space to explore those things. Speaking of which, there's been a quote rattling around my head. And I think it's from an interview about a a recent uh, book turned into a TV series for Apple TV, I think, called The Changeling. 
I haven't read it and I haven't watched it and this is not an ad for it. But there was a quote um, from that movie in an interview with the author, I believe, that just keeps rattling around my head. And it's probably how I would have started this if it was a full on let's do the prep work for two weeks and rewrite and rewrite um, kind of a show for the crossroads. But it's it's not, or I probably would have found something from Julius Caesar or something that made it sound more historic, the historic nature of my process as it were. But because I think it's really relevant, or at least it's what keeps reoccurring to me as I watch people react to the first game of the first week and the same old people who so far are looking wrong, complaining everyone's taking away victory laps from week one when you know they would be also feeling good if their priors had been confirmed by week one when in fact week one or game one is just another data point another piece of information in the pile now me and bulletproof fantasy we actually revolve around in different circles at this point in the fantasy space but something he said a long time ago when we were arguing and i was right by the way about a rookie at some point was that players are not fresh on the field the first game in the NFL. And he was pointing to the fact that players have played in college for at least three years for most of the time, and that information has as much relevance to anything else. While NFL stats do weigh more heavily in evaluation than they should for their future in the NFL, I think it was an interesting point not to draw a line between the different elements of data and say this stuff now doesn't matter and this stuff does. It matters less, but it still matters a lot. And that's kind of the thought process that keeps coming back to me with this quote, while people react to one game in one week. And the quote's this. Our fears are the old fears, and the old fears are ancient. When we feel them again, they are born anew. Yeah, I know. I, I, I keep trying to add gravitas to my fantasy football content, and I don't know how ridiculous it seems to everyone else, but it feels a little ridiculous to me, but also not we're essentially or at least the way i like to expand into playing fantasy football is to check out my reasoning you know there's some sort of base logic behind um uh the way we think about the way we think if something feels right if you're convinced of an argument or an idea you assume your brain wouldn't do you dirty in agreeing with the presented logic of something if it didn't make sense our feelings on an idea often persuade us into believing this idea i can't tell you how many times i've come across an idea in fantasy football or something else and then watch someone i respect who i think is better at that aspect or just thinking in general dissect it and deconstruct it and from the moment go they hate it they're explaining right off the bat something that i consumed that i read and i thought was a really interesting idea and right from the word go, they don't only disagree with it, they think it's fundamentally flawed in its reasoning. And I immediately feel myself switching my position, despite the fact I initially thought it was true. And there are a lot of questions there, right? One, why did I just accept it instead of exploring the idea myself, just because of the source? And two, why am I immediately willing to switch, making the same mistakes? It's because the first instance, the first idea in this imaginary example felt right it sounded right it made sense in my head and i trusted that my reasoning was logic based so my feelings were coming from something i could intuit but didn't have to 
go the whole hog of running it through the process and actually running down the ideas myself and taking it down to its base level and trying to understand it. Like, this seemed to make sense, so it must be true. And immediately when someone I know who I respect as someone who's more capable or more intelligent starts disagreeing with immediately, I immediately assume I've made a mistake in that reasoning, which is the same issue in my thinking, right? And I think this is fairly common. I think we assume our brains work based on logic and reasoning when any, you know, mild examination of your life will point out that no, it's not. Your brain doesn't work with reasoning. It works on feelings and gut instinct and intuition, which none of that is based in some cold, hard logic of the of a reality of the world. We're emotional creatures at best, and our brain is a sit is a network of electrical signals based on hormone levels. There is no base logic or reasoning that we are relying on. Just because something feels right doesn't mean that it is right. So why does that quote keep coming back to me on it? It's because the quote itself is about what the subject of the, the series seems to be protecting children and that fairy tales and ancient stories and myths that I spent a lot of time studying a lot of them at the base root is simply asking the question, how do we protect our children? Because no matter which direction you go, there's always a story or a reason or an outcome where it was the wrong way to go. If you become too overprotective, a helicopter parent that can insulate your kids and also send them down the wrong path or hurt them initially. And if you're too loose with your parenting, obviously there are a lot of dangers there as well. And I'm not going to get into that idea itself, but as a parent, that one strikes at your heart. Like, how am I meant to keep my kids safe? But that fear, those emotions, those feelings are not only a deep law part of the body of information we have been passing down from generation to generation, from every iteration of society and every iteration of culture, it also speaks to this, we are not reasoned beings. We are creatures of emotion and feelings and intuition. So when Cooper Cup gets hurt before game one, I immediately have a feeling, an intuition, a knowledge that I knew that was going to happen. Obviously, it, it's been kind of rumored all offseason, and he's getting older, and his value's dropping, and we know the injury curve goes up, and it fits into this nice logical sense. But that's also why we spend all this time, to the point that people now reject the word, <laughs> they don't like the concept because we talk about it too much as if it's a real thing, and it's not, but it is. And it's the only way of playing Dynasty is to consider it value. For what is value if not an assessment on some level of the risk of something not working out, and how much that might thing might not work out? The reason Cooper Cup's value dropped early in the offseason was because of that risk. And the reason it rose is because people felt or intuited that it mattered less because it was more immediate than he was going to score points. This is one of the consistent micro-market cycles Zach Reed and Leo Psega talk about. And, and Mike Havens, when he was on this podcast in his interview, talked about trying to exploit in your league mates. That fact we get more immediacy when... The point season rolls around, and we somehow think those that risk is more or less managed. Well, it only has to last a couple weeks before the first week, and therefore his points are suddenly more valuable. Or we remember that we're going to have to set lineups, or we're more interested in it. Whatever the psychology is behind it, the fact is the risk was the same at the start of the offseason to it was three days ago, or a week ago, or whenever the first reports came out that he was very likely heading towards the IR. 
That's why value is important. That's what value is essentially at the core of it. It's some level of assessment of the positive to negative range of outcomes and what are the risks of it. And so when week Rom rolls in and everyone on Twitter is talking about how I thought only running backs got injured. It's like, no, no one ever said that. And the way no one ever said running backs can't catch passes if they have low pass-catching roles in college, they're just more likely to have lower pass-catching roles in the NFL. And despite the fact that continues to be true, even on the examples people are victory-wrapping over week one after a great catch is made in practice or in the first game, they'll still make those points because it feels that that's wrong. An athlete can catch a pass. He is good at catching balls. Therefore, he can catch balls. So what are you talking about a low pass-catching role? Our feelings, our intuitions often push us off the mark of something we know and we have established to be true on average, especially when the results aren't what we wanted, even though we know everything carries risk. And so when we get to Copa Cup, and I'm feeling really silly for rostering him in a couple of leagues where I thought I was competitive, and now I'm suddenly less competitive, or at least I'm going to be for at least four weeks now, I have to remember that the word process is overused and overvalued at this point. And the word value is overused and overvalued. I needed a separate word for that one. But you know what I mean at this point in Dynasty content... The reason it is, is because that is the only way of playing Dynasty. There are relatively new aspects of it to explore. It's just trying to understand and finding ways to exploit it in different areas where maybe someone somewhere in my league might not have come to terms with. And so here's one right here. Those intuitions, those feelings you get after week one where you're like, I knew I shouldn't have gone in on Aaron Jones. Or I knew Jameer Gibbs was going to look this good in his first game, despite the fact it's very clearly more Swiftian, as we expected, in terms of his role with David Montgomery. But, you know, we're going to feel, especially because he looks good. I remember Giovanni Bernard. Gio for life was literally a hashtag that only I use, but I still use it. Because I know he was better than Jeremy Hill. And I still know he was better than Jeremy Hill. But that doesn't matter, right? And so we're going to lean into our feelings and our intuitions because it makes sense and we believe ourselves to be reasoned beings. When instead, what we're doing is we're feeling very old fears, ancient fears, and ones that we are giving new life to by thinking we got something wrong because we got the negative outcome. We didn't. The reason Cooper Cup didn't cost three first round picks is because he could, this could happen. It was in his range of outcomes. So if you got him for too much to the point that your team is no longer able to compete and no longer has value long term, then to look at what happened, it's not that you have Cooper Cup because we can't predict injuries or I certainly can't. No matter how much it feels like we should have known this, we should have known it was a possibility We should not have known that it was going to happen because we cannot know. So it's back to how did I get my team into a situation where I have Cooper Cup and his loss through the first four weeks at least is such a devastating blow. Was the trade okay? Is my team okay outside of that? Do I have other value where I could go and replace him? Those are the things that went wrong if anything went wrong. It's not that you roster Cooper Cup. It's how you roster him and what your roster construction looks like with him. And this makes a lot of sense to me, and I could probably eke out a little bit more sense and 30 minutes of content out of it if I had two weeks to actually rewrite this episode, as I normally try and do at this point. 
But what I want you to take away from it is to remember that if there was something wrong, it's not that you have something on your roster or a rookie that you planned on didn't work out or a veteran that you planned on is injured or JT didn't sign even though you traded for him because you played that risk game. You have to reassess your trades. Did you hurt your did you put too much in that risk bucket for this particular roster construction or not? And if so, you got the negative outcome, but you prepared for this because you acquired it, you added it to your team with that risk in mind. If not, that's the part that we need to add to the process, not the don't buy old receivers. Because this is going to happen a lot this season. We're expecting low and odd breakout wide receivers, a lot, hopefully, of breakout running backs. And we're expecting a lot of excitement for young running backs, even when maybe they're not impressing quite as much as the hype extends to. We know Jameer Gibbs is very, very good. He's very talented. He's a first-round running back. He's going to be impressive on the field. He's going to make impressive plays. But if by week four we're still seeing him be the little spoon in very much a committee situation, we don't need to lean into it because he's young and he looks very, very good. Because nine times out of ten, that doesn't happen. That's the process. Let's not be led by our fears, as ancient as they may be. But again, it's just one new piece of information and a long line of information where we move our slider bar from one side to the other, from uncertainty to certainty in different areas. Justin Ross definitely didn't dominate targets through Game 1 on Kansas City. Rashi Rice did really well as a rookie Game 1 without Travis Kelsey on the field. Now, I don't think Rashi Rice did that because Kelsey's gone, but I do think opportunity was open and there's very little reason. I'm not surprised by Skymore dominating targets, and anyone who is, I think, hasn't has been led by intuition and fear rather than letting the process and, and the things that we know happen more often consistently not help us avoid something that we should have expected not to happen. But Justin Ross definitely didn't either, and at this point we have to start adding that to the list of information where Justin Ross didn't do much and there was relatively little reason for him not to do something. We can maybe give him a pass through the first season because of his draft capital. But this season, something has to happen. And Rashi Rice, a, a rookie prospect that we were very interested in, and hopefully we landed on a few teams, seems to be the guy who took the most advantage of that. Was that because Travis Kelsey is gone? No, because we put in the effort through the offseason, again, to re-examine our priors, to look at vacated targets, and that's just not how they work. If Kelsey was on the field, I still think Rice would have had a more impressive role this week on the first game on Thursday, because that's how targets seem to work 98% of the time, and the other 2% are not the breakouts you're looking for, to be sure. So how do we protect our children, or in this case, our dynasty teams, from our lack of innate reasoning and logic, and the fact that the process is boring and overused at this point? Well, for a start, you cannot try to find excuses why something that is good is good. And I suffered through four weeks of Terrence Marshall, Terrence Marshall getting a 20% target share in his rookie season, and I know it can be tough, but good is good. More volume is more volume. And you have to get out of the habit of trying to find a reason that something that happened isn't actually true. It's just one data point, yes. 
and things can change, so we'll stick to our priors at least until week four. But if a player you didn't expect to do something did something or is about to do something in week one, you just have to accept that as one new piece of information. It doesn't change everything, but it does put one dot in the direction down a very long road, or at least a four-week road, of that player is going to beat my expectation. And in that way, we can also allow ourselves positivity. Rashi Rice is looking like a really good rookie pick in the mid-second round, as me and Zach, and we did in the Dynasty Grind, who's about, he's ranked about mid-second round. I think he came in ADP-wise late second round, early third. Can't remember. You can check that data too on my rank sheet, but still, check my link tree, all these. I'm always talking about these links, and I know, you know, you don't check out any of them, but if you ever do... By the way, I have a link tree. You can literally type link tree and a website will come up. It's pin, it's it's a link on my Twitter profile. It will always be linked in the notes of this show. And all my main data links and as well as my YouTube channel and all of my sources are linked there. There's just about eight links or so and you can always go to that. It's a way I'm trying to centralize everything for everyone, Patreons and non-Patreons. You can get direct links to Patreon databases and articles and my DLF articles and my Patreon page and my YouTube page just with that one simple link. Um, so yeah, check that out. Just in case I forget to put a link in the description one time. So yeah, the point here is we're allowed to be positive, more positive on Rashi Rice and more positive on Sam Laporta. That was a really impressive first game from a rookie tight end that we were already high on coming in. It doesn't prove what we hoped would happen this season or at least for the first two seasons of Sam Laporta's career, but it certainly doesn't trend the idea downwards. It's a positive step. And for that reason, you also have to look at Jameer Gibbs and honestly expect that that role to change over time. It was heavily David Montgomery in this game, but it's going to balance out. But it's also very clearly not more towards the Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey level split some people saw in his range of outcomes. I thought he was going to have a more DeAndre Swift-like split, and that is definitely a lot more reasonable through only one game in week one of 2023 when he's a rookie for the first time on an NFL field. Just a very small nudge down the direction of that's looking right. And if he could stay healthy, I remind you, DeAndre Swift had top 12 upside in that role. It was just that he got hurt a little too often, which may be why the team has gone on to someone new. Whether he's better or worse isn't the question for fantasy outcome. It's if that role can stabilize into a useful top 12 workload moving forward. And so far, it looks like that's definitely on the cards. But that top five outcome of his DeAndre Swift, but also really Saquon Barkley and Chris McCaffrey or whatever other comps we were hoping for... We took one negative step away from that level of range of outcomes from Gibbs. Just one very small step. And we're allowed to take that negative because we also accept the positive of the other small steps through one week of information. One week of the NFL season. So don't look for excuses where things that you didn't think were going to happen happened. You don't have to change your mind entirely especially this early, but you do have to accept that it's getting more risky, not less risky. And in that way, you can apply the same level of adjustment to the ones that you did think were going to happen. And I think that's how we protect our dynasty teams. That's how we keep moving forward. Look for things that get us in the right place more often in the offseason. 
cast our line in the water for the season, and as the information rolls out, nudge our slider bars in one direction or another, of certainty to risk. Anyway, that's where my head's been, especially reading Twitter, because it can be frustrating whether you're right or you're wrong so far through one game of week one. It feels like everyone wants to tell you you have to move in one direction or another, and I don't think that's the case. We're just nudging here and there. We're allowed to feel good about the things that look good so far and worried about the things that don't. And our risk management changes with it. In the case of Cooper Cup, I put this out on Twitter as well. I th- look, if an old player gets hurt or is missing for a few weeks in a season where you were expecting him to compete, I think the approach is fairly standard at this point. But here we go. I think you're holding because I think his points are going to be worth more this season, hopefully, or at least next season. There's a longer time frame here, especially when you're in the midst of it. It feels like Cooper Cup will never, ever do anything again, ever, when he actually might be back after four weeks. Or maybe not this season, but this time next year, he will be better on your roster with no value if he didn't play this season as a potential points getter like a Michael Thomas right now, then he could probably get you in trade. However, those slider bars matter here. If you are a competitive team and you are sure your pick is going to be a bottom three pick in your league, like 10, 11, 12 in a 12-team league in the first round, you should consider going and trading for Cooper Cup the same way I said we should consider trading for Jonathan Taylor last week. We're not going in heavy, but we're sending in decent offers. Send your first round pick, ask for a second back in a couple of years for Cooper Cup. And if that team is more on the building side or in that 70%, they should strongly consider that because I think that's well-managed risk on both sides. But if not, that's okay. Jonathan Taylor would probably take a little bit more than that. You could also, depending on your league or who you're trading with and what they like, throw in a sleeper or an undervalued second round pick from this or last year with your second round pick. That's a baseline offer, and you have to go up or down depending on what your league mate likes or who they like in that trade. But if you're a competitive team, I think you can should consider that the last six weeks of this season matter more to you if your pick is going to be a bottom three pick, and that might be an opportunity to get Cooper Cup at a very reasonable risk-managed value. Same with Jonathan Taylor last week or two weeks ago, as it is with Cooper Cup now. But anyway... Those are some of my thoughts on the recent events. We're not always going to be able to cover things as and when they roll out in the crossroads, but we have this nice little window of time here. Um, Let me know what you think. Hit me up on the Discord or on Twitter or just check out my weekly projections that I update, you know, as and when uh, several times throughout the week so that you can get my start-sit rankings. I adhere to them pretty closely. I do a projection model using five, I think, sources of projections and ranks at this point, including the top of the line ones that score all the awards for the highest the highest uh, accuracy percentage and stuff. And then I use a weighted average formula for that, including their last season uh, prediction, last season finish, and at week four or six, I'll convert that over to their current ranks. That's where the line switches over. Um, and I use that average to create a start sit certainty. So how many projectors right now would say to start one player over the other? Um, I'm not trying to bore you to death with the way my projection model works in season. It's more that that's why I adhere to it. If you ask me start sit questions, I'm going to enter the names in that sh- list 
and the ranking that comes up from that formula, that's the order I'd tell you to start sit them. So just in case I don't get back to you in time, you can actually check it out yourself. Although most people just prefer to ask and I end up typing them in, which is perfectly fine as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, you, you can find all my who I would start and sit using that formula and also, you know, see all the projection model. If you're interested, again, Linktree. Linktree is the best place to find that. Um, for now, I'm going to scrounge around, see if I can't find a guest for next week. I'm going to enjoy Sunday's games just like you. Not by watching, obviously. I'll just be looking at an app, refusing to find a TV, just watching the stats roll in. That's how I enjoy my Sundays, obviously. Um, but I hope you enjoy watching the games, and I will see you again next week with some sort of Crossroads episode. Sorry for the delay this week. But good luck in week one. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, so Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, so Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical